Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, but uh, Brian Fromm is MIA. If you've seen him, call us. We were getting a little bit worried. But I am absolutely thrilled to have in the studio, in the flesh, three very special guests. Three of my favorite individuals on planet Earth. Can I say that? Is that too much? That's pretty That's sweet great. of you. Too yeah, much too good. early. We have right here in the studio Bobby Klinkert, Aaron Kohler, and Jason Ishmael from Community Christian Church, but more specifically... They are the, the gurus of youth ministry around our parts, and uh, I'm so excited you guys are here. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for the overstated welcome. Was it too much? Too much too soon? It over-promise, under-deliver. Under <laughs> That's what we're headed for. Sorry, everybody. All right. <laughs> here's, here's some information buckets. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted, so all the previous podcasts are there. You can listen to us at twice the speed if you so choose. And uh, I figured that we just start with introductions. Just I know people don't necessarily know who you are, what you're about. So here's here's what I'm interested in: uh, Who are you? Uh, what do you do? And what got you into ministry in the first place? So, Bobby, why don't, you, why don't we start with you? Yeah. So my name is Bobby, and uh, I am one of the student pastors at our Naperville Yellow Box location at Community, and uh, I grew up. Going to community, which is kind of crazy. Right, right. So I'm I'm like an old timer. I've been around forever, but um, I always told myself that I was never going to do student ministry when I got older. You did? I did. I didn't know this. And so I mean, it was like you know, conversation with my parents. It came, it came up for sure, and it was always no, we're not doing that. That's not going to happen. And uh, I went to school for business, graduated, and I got sucked back in somehow. And so I ended up <laughs> back in community, doing exactly what I said I wasn't going to do: student ministry. So uh, I can absolutely relate to that, by the way. I told my parents, the last thing in the world I'm interested in doing is ministry, for sure. And here we are. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's crazy how it all turned out. But, I mean, I remember, you know, being a, a student in our student ministry, yeah. you know, seeing how those people impacted me, changed my life, changed the trajectory. I know it sounds cheesy, but, like, that's the very reason I ended up coming back, I think, is I would love to be that for other students, mm. what those people were for me. So. so you're in student ministry because of the student ministry experience that you had. Absolutely, yeah. That's outstanding. All right, Aaron, what about you? Yeah. Who are you? What do you do? So, yeah, my name is Aaron, and I'm also one of the student directors at our Naperville Yellow Box location. And I grew up, actually, my, my dad was my student pastor growing up, and I had two older brothers who were also student pastors. Really? So it was kind of just in the genes, I guess, uh, and just something that uh, was always in front of me. So it was a great experience growing up. I uh, love doing that with my dad and just watching my brothers be able to do that. There definitely came a point where it was my decision, where mm. it wasn't just, 
well, your brothers did it, your dad does it, so you have to do it too. Right. Uh, there was definitely a point where I knew God was calling me into into this. So, mm. uh, yeah, jumped in, did student ministry for about 10 years, and then had a, had a slight job change, but now back in it again and uh, loving it. So it's been good. That's Okay, yeah. so how, how many uh, accumulated years of student ministry then do you have under your belt at this point? Uh, so we're about 11 years. No kidding. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, Jason. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Well, uh yeah, it came at it the opposite way. So uh, I felt called when I was 12, and uh, it really, at that point on, didn't want to do anything else with my life and had been aiming that direction. Uh, ended up going into ministry right out of college and was in a, uh, in a small town in deep southern Illinois. Uh, if anybody knows that region, about half an hour from Carbondale, uh, go Salukis. Ooh, exotic Carbondale. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> So I did that for uh, for ten years and really took uh, an odd path in uh, getting mixed up with some guys in the Plainfield location for community. And uh, after meeting the lead guy, got an invitation to come to join the staff. Uh, Thirty two years old and started my first student ministry, and uh, it was fun to go that way. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so people, uh, some people may know. I, probably just as many don't know though. The youth ministry was my like first love. That actually was my foot in the door. When I said first, I didn't want to do, I didn't want anything to do with ministry, and then I felt like the Lord kind of planted the seed, and then started really kind of stalking me. Is what I felt like, like this, this is happening. My idea was like, well, student ministry at least seems to be where the fun is. I might as well at least have fun in ministry. That's where the lock into the Mountain Dew is, and that was sort of my my foot in the door, and kind of fell head over heels for student ministry. Like if I'm being really honest, way more than I thought I was going to, for a whole bunch of reasons. But I'm curious, just. Like, do you have like a favorite story or a re- like? What's the thing that you love most about youth ministry? As we as we begin this conversation for this hour, I would love just to hear some of your heart. Like, what's the thing about student ministry that just like makes your heart beat fast? Or that like really, really kind of fires you up. Well, I remember uh, I, I love to I love to preach, man. I just love to brag about Jesus, and and I really love a live room and an active bunch of listeners and. You can get a group of junior high and high school students pretty frothy without uh, with a lot without a lot of effort. I remember one time. Is that the term now? <laughs> exactly. That's an official student ministry term. Sure. The uh, I remember one time we were uh, we were getting an after it on some Wednesday night and and normally a really passive bunch. And this group is just going nuts every single time we take a step forward. Yeah, yeah, they're clapping and yelling about right, stuff. Right. We get done, and we're entering into a pretty serious moment, and this seventh grade boy greets me as soon as, as, soon as we walk back to st- just sing some more. Mm. He comes up to me, opens up his arms like super wide, gives me this big bro hug, and says, dude, you're a beast. <laughs> wow. And at that point, I was like, okay, this is it. Sure. Dude, you're a beast? I like, yeah. never get that in the adult world. <laughs> Let's roll speak, with speak this. For yourself, man. Dude, you're a beast. Oh, you hear that every week, no, right? No, never. never again. I'm wearing a cardigan and a fedora. <laughs> yeah, this is not. a good point. And what about you? You got a favorite memory or a reason like that student ministry is the thing for you? Yeah, I think for me, uh, just in two different segments of working with students, uh, that answer has changed for me. Wow, um, interesting. Probably the, the beginning. I mean, you try to be the cool guy that everybody connects <laughs> right, to, right. the relevant Not guy that's doing with the music. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, but I, I think this time around, like God has renewed my focus on pouring into leaders mm. and investing into them who are going to invest in students. That's awesome. So while the first time around, 
it, it was definitely about knowing students and hearing them and seeing them. And while we still do that and spend a lot of time focusing in on that, I think now the focus really has been on, all right, how can I pour into our leaders and invest in them so that they can invest in more people than I ever could? That's all. Can I just say anecdotally, too, you, you do an exceptional job of that. Just from, from what I see, I think, I think you're perfectly suited for that, man. Bobby, what about you? What, what fires you up about student ministry? Yeah, I would second that about Aaron. He's a beast, man. Right? You're a beast. Dude, you're a beast. beast. You're a beast. <laughs> I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's multifaceted for me, but I think, you know, the two things I would think of are, one, the newness. Like, student mm. ministry never gets old. Right. It, it's really hard to find, like, a mundane routine in student ministry. Because it's always evolving and stuff, right? It's evolving, it's, yeah. and, and students are just crazy, right? <laughs> they're just, they're, they do unexpected things. So right. true. And, uh, and so that keeps, it, that keeps it awesome, man. I love that element of it. I think the other piece is getting a front row seat into the mm-hmm. lives of students as they begin to make faith their own. Yeah. And so that's like these mountaintop experiences where, you know, they feel like they've experienced God in very real ways. And totally. you, get to, you get to be a part of that and those conversations. But also, even in the struggle, as questions are being asked, totally. as doubts uh, you know, are being cast, it's like we get to be a part of that yeah. and we get to listen to that and also speak into that. Yeah. So, I mean, we got, we got a group of senior guys even right now who... A few of them have been through the hills and valleys right. as they try and figure out what this all means, and just being able to process that with them has been, you know, super awesome and rejuvenating. That's it's been awesome. great. That's yeah. awesome. Okay, so that's a perfect segue because you talked about both the mountaintops and the valleys, and one of the things I want to talk a little bit about is how do we navigate valleys with our students as a community? And you guys are actually uh, hosting an event this Sunday to deal specifically with depression and suicide and some really dark stuff of student ministry where. When I was a student studying youth ministry, I, I don't I don't know that that was a conversation that came up all that often. And it feels like fast forward 15 years, if you're going to do student ministry well, you have to be having this conversation. And you guys, I think, have some really brilliant insight into that specifically. So that's coming up next on The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. But I'm excited that we have in the studio right now three of our student pastors. Can I call you pastors? Yeah, that's fair. Sure. <laughs> three of our student pastors from Community Christian Church, two from the Yellow Box, one from Plainfield. And uh, last segment, we were just getting to know them, a little bit of their heart for ministry. But I kind of teed it up because it's a conversation that, honestly, when I was a youth pastor, I felt uh, really ill-prepared, as great as my education was, to actually deal with. And that is the the valley seasons of life. And I don't know if this is just my observation from a distance, but it feels like more and more students are experiencing like deep valleys of depression and anxiety and specifically this this really, really weighty, difficult topic of suicide. And and one of the things that I really appreciate about you three is th- this isn't just like a nebulous, distant conversation. Like in a lot of ways, this is stuff that is hit close to home for us. And rather than burying your head in the sand you said all right let's let's go after this and let's talk about this let's not keep this in the category of taboo anymore and so there's an event coming up called when silence isn't golden but you've already had an event specifically for students a little while ago under kind of the same premise of diving into this this really complex issue could, could you talk to us a little bit about that event that you already hosted and maybe some stories or learnings that came out of that yeah, I mean, so as a as a community over the last couple of years, uh, we you know we've definitely wrestled through and struggled through a couple of different seasons um, of some you know pretty tragic things that have happened. Yeah, and so you know some things have come to the surface. You know, we even had a, a few suicides inside of the ministry, 
And so, um, so yeah, I think, you know, it's something that obviously no pastor or no church, you know, wants to think about or talk about, but at the same time, it's, it's so necessary. And so, um, these things have happened and, you know, unfortunately that's kind of what prompted us to get to that point. Mm. And so, yeah, we did, we, we had an opportunity to talk with our students about, um, about suicide and mental health. And really, I mean, the goal was to at least start the conversation, right? Because you mentioned being prepared. I don't know that anyone could ever be prepared to have those conversations or to facilitate a discussion, but it has to be started somewhere. And so that was really the heart behind what we did a couple weeks ago was let's start the conversation. Let's give students a safe place to have that conversation and, uh, and let's set up a network of care. And so that, that's what happened. That's awesome. All right, so what was the general like, posture and vibe coming out of that? Like, what, was the, what has been the response to that event uh, from where you sit? Have, have people, was it helpful that people leave with more questions than answers? Like, what's, what's some of the general response you've had so far? Yeah, I would say there was an overwhelming uh, great response from, from students, from parents alike, knowing that we were having the conversation. We were in deep conversation with parents about that, just informing them that, hey, we're actually having this conversation and make you aware of it. Um, but I, I think for me, the probably the biggest takeaway was that we're just we're trying to make this a normal conversation uh, because it, it it needs to be. It's not something we need to shy away from. It's not something we need to be scared of. But it, it actually, in today's society, it needs to be a normal conversation with with parents, with students, uh, with other professionals. That's because that's often what kind of helps it maintain its power when we keep it in the shadows. Right. Like, right. just don't talk about right. it. And I feel like. There can be so much shame associated with that. If, if a student is listening and they're thinking, oh, man, I'm having these thoughts and I'm the only person on planet Earth that has right. these thoughts, the, the inclination tends to be, unfortunately, I'm just going to I'm going to keep that to myself and stuff that down. And it seems like we're finding more and more that to be problematic. Right? How, how are you guys engaging with this at Plainfield? Well, it's huge. When you think about uh, even the illustrations of the church in Scripture, Jesus says, uh, I'm the vine, you're, you're the branches. He's the head, we're the body. He's the shepherd, we're the flock. Uh, and every single one of those uh, those illustrations denote connection. And when isolation comes, those are the times when we start to see suffering. I mean, when a, we've seen enough National Geographic and BBC to know what happens when a sheep is separated away from the rest of the flock. It's easy pickings for the wolf. And so here we have students that think they can't bring it up. Because they can't say anything. They can't say anything to their mom and dad. They can't say anything to a teacher because uh, they're going to be isolated. And, and here they are. The darkness kind of closes in on those situations. And so, you know, we had this conversation in Plainfield as well that same night. And uh, it wasn't just about the students that are in danger. It was about the people that are surrounded by them. I mean, had a, a student come up to us during our winter conference whose best friend was battling depression. And she said, I'm hurting so bad right now because my best friend is depressed. You just don't think about the impact that that has on the people around them. And so, you know, even what do I do? What do I say? We just have this, uh, this, this inaction that, that paralyzes us. We don't know where to go and what to do. And so we had this conversation in two parts. One, it was a student who had been through a season and had come through miraculously, but also about the leader that had connected to her. It was a high school student and a leader who was at the time, 20, 21 years old, didn't know what she was doing, didn't know the right things to say. Uh, and, and we got to hear from her perspective as well to talk about the fear that comes when you're kind of the person standing in the gap for that person that's hurting. And to be able to hear this person say, hey, I didn't know what I was doing and it didn't matter. To what, it wasn't about me having all the best advice and all of the best techniques. 
I knew when I was out of my depth when I needed to call somebody and say help. But I was also knowing that I, I needed to be the person that showed up, even if it was two in the morning. That's good. I think this, the showing up piece is the most important and often, I think, the most difficult, right? Because we, we live a lot of our lives behind screens and the idea of, like, presence, you know, when, when it's so easy to, like, run to prescribing something to make an issue go away or to here's a verse out of context. Hopefully you feel like – the, the idea of like true messy presence, which is something that I think the three of you actually model really well. And, and because uh, I'm also at the yellow box, I'm, I'm a little more familiar with some of these stories. But, Bobby, I think you you've experienced a couple of pretty powerful stories of victory last year, at like summer camp and blast and people who had found themselves like in the valley and found found some healing, found some hope. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what that's been like, both on on the heartbreaking side and also the hopeful side? Um, in, in a student ministry that's like wrestling through both ends of that. Yeah, I, I would just say, you know, in, in our experience and with some of the stories that we've heard, uh, and even what we heard a couple weeks ago, there is hope. Like, there's a lot of hope. And I think the stigma with mental health and suicide is really hungry and also really easy to feed. But I think we've discovered that, you know, just in being willing to talk about these things, there is so much hope inside of those conversations. And so like, you know, there was a, there was a student who at camp ended up talking about how, you know, she was essentially on the verge of taking her own life. Um, but because of the community and because of also, you know, her experience and encounter with God, like some crazy things happen and, uh, everything turned around. But again, I, I don't think that happens if no one's willing to step into those gaps and address those conversations. Yeah. Well, and she she not only like turned around, but then didn't she baptize a friend of hers or something? There was this, this domino effect of her not only her life being changed, but then her life change, kind of to Jason's point, affecting everyone around her too, right? Is Absolutely, that, yeah. There, was, that there was a ripple effect, and she ended up baptizing someone who also struggled with similar things. Yeah. So that idea of like standing in the gap is not just thinking these like individual stories, but it's like, oh man. When when we stand in the gap as as leaders and pastors, it isn't just affecting individual students. Like those students are then taking that back to their schools and affecting their communities in a way that I think because a lot of the youth ministry doesn't happen at the church address, right? And I feel like a lot of student ministry right. is happening at schools and on football fields and like what what's been your experience and like what's happening at the at the local church level, kind of outside the walls. Like what, where are you seeing some of that some of that impact or that growth outside of the four walls of the church? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say just to to Bobby's story there, like that. That's it. That's that's where we're seeing it. It's not necessarily with within the walls. It's it's what takes place outside, and it, it's it's been really cool just to watch uh, people respond to that and lean into it and listen. Um, because how we how we talked about it, how we addressed it a lot was not necessarily this this whole conversation of suicide isn't necessarily about you thinking about suicide, but we all know at least one person. Uh, when we we just did a, a real brief survey, a show of hands, and every single hand was raised. Of I know someone uh, who has thought about it, talked about it, and for me, my context is in middle school, so we're talking sixth through eighth grade. Still, every single hand, somebody knows somebody who's dealing with depression or has had conversation about suicide. So just the impact that it has for for us to say, okay, let's let's go and let's live this life. Let's have this conversation with the people that we're connected to has made a huge impact. So like in that moment, you're like, okay, so this isn't, we're not on the fence as to whether or not this conversation right. is necessary. You're looking at a real-time example of like, okay, we got to yep. go after this. So yep. that's what I want to talk about coming up next because you guys are hosting an event. And the thing that I love about you guys is that you think ecumenically. Like this isn't just for 
Community Christian Church. This is we're inviting parents and organizations and other churches. This Sunday is called When Silence Isn't Golden, specifically for parents of teenagers and people that are around teenagers. And uh, so I want to learn a little bit more about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. But we have three very special in-house guest hosts today, Bobby, Aaron, Jason from Community Christian Church, and specifically, uh, they lead our Stuco communities, at least two of them. And uh, we've been talking about some kind of heavy topics, and one of the things that, for us, the, the hope for the show, that's why we use the word common, was to create some common space to talk about stuff that, whether you're a Jesus person or not, like, this is something that we deal with, whether you have students or not, even. And... Uh, We've been talking a little bit about, okay, so how, how can the church, how can student ministry in particular respond well when tragedy strikes, when students struggle with depression or mental illness, the kind of stuff that, honestly, in a lot of ways, seminary just can't prepare you for, and it's sort of like an in-the-trenches thing. How, how do you, Jason, sort of create common space for dialogue when maybe the inclination is, you know, there's a lot of shame associated with a lot of these things, and sometimes the inclination is to, to hide it, to keep it in the shadows, to stuff it down. How, how do you... As a student ministry, like create common space for dialogue that is both helpful, but also like feels safe for the skeptic or the or the student that's like really trepidatious to to even speak up in the first place. Yeah, and I think that if we're going to create common space for dialogue, it isn't just something that happens occasionally. Mm. Uh, it's really got to be woven into the DNA of what you do week in and week out. There isn't a week that we get together that we don't have opportunity for students to have discussion with each other, with their leaders. Uh, and really, that's the goal. Everything that we're doing is leaning to that opportunity where a student's going to have an opportunity to talk to somebody else. And so a lot of times we're looking at a night and people want to ask, you know, like, okay, was the music good? Was the message good? All these sorts of things. And the reality is if those things don't set up those discussions for for quality and for intimacy, uh, we'd say the night was a failure, no matter how exciting things were before that point. And so if that's happening 52 weeks a year, um, we get into a, a discussion about depression and suicide. Uh, it informs everything we do, again, to continue those kind of open dialogues. So to take like a deep dive into some of these conversations, can't it can't be like a flash in a pan. Like right. you, you see 52 weeks a year is like setting the stage. It's like creating the environment and the tone that communicates to students, even skeptical ones, like, oh, this is a safe place. So that even if like right now they're not struggling with it, a year from now they are. And they're like, oh, I remember this youth group. I remember this youth pastor, this student community that was safe for me. I Even if maybe they haven't been a part of it since then, that's, that sticks with them, I think. Because there are so few safe spaces, they feel like when they actually exist, students are like, oh, man, when I'm, when I'm hurting, that's a place to go. And so you guys have created this event. It's coming up this Sunday. It's called When Silence Isn't Golden. And it's specifically geared towards parents and adults, right? Um, and it's not just for our church either. Uh, can you talk to us, Bobby, a little bit about the event and your hopes and dreams for the event? And maybe like someone listening, that's they're they're in that space. They got a student that's hurting, or their student knows someone that's really hurting. Um, is this for them, and how how can they get involved? Yeah, we're we're really excited about it. It's coming up uh, this Sunday at Community Christian Church's Yellow Box, and it's going to happen from seven to nine p.m. Um, and really, it is. I mean, it's it's targeted for for parents, and so um, that's parents inside the church, outside the church, really anybody. Um, and we think we think it'd be beneficial for anybody to be there. 
And so what's going to happen is, you know, there's going to be a couple different components of the night. You know, the first, we were actually partnering with uh, Wheaton College. And uh, there's going to be a piece where our goal is just to bring awareness and even educate in some of these different areas and some of these different conversations. Because the reality is there's, you know, most people that don't even know where to start. And so, you know, that, that's really, you know, one of the goals for the night. The other component that we're super excited about is there's going to be a, a Q&A portion where parents will actually be able to text in questions to a panel and that panel will respond to those questions. And the panel will be made up of, you know, a couple different student pastors, uh, but also some mental health professionals that we're friends with that were actually around for uh, for the student night a couple weeks ago as well. Wow, that's awesome. All right, Aaron, I'm curious, what, do you, what are your hopes coming out of this event then? Like, I know you guys have put in a lot of work and effort and planning for the event this Sunday, which if you go to communitychristian.org slash events, it's right at the top of the deck there. You can click for more information. Is that Community Christian Church's yellow box in Naperville. But thinking through, you know, it's just a few days away now. Like, what are your hopes coming out of this event? Is this the kind of event that you could see yourself hosting again? Um, like, what are, what are some of the markers that you would step away and say, yeah, this, this was a successful event for us? Yeah, I think I think for us, Bobby touched on it a little bit, is just the opportunity to to educate uh, to talk to parents about what students are talking about. As, as we discussed, like uh, we did a different survey several weeks ago with students uh, just about mental health and suicide and the responses that we're seeing uh, is they are clearly engaged in it. And I, I think so many parents aren't even aware of that. And so just to bring awareness to that and then give them some walking away points, some things, just some practical things, maybe just one thing that they can walk away with uh, of here's how I begin this conversation. Here's how I can begin to just talk through with my student or uh, help someone in, in this conversation. But I, I think another great opportunity that we have is just uh, that night is to connect them with other parents and let them know again that this, you're not alone in this. This isn't just your family. It's just not your student. Uh, this is happening all over to everyone and connect them to each other, see faces uh, of people who are dealing with the same thing, but also connect to other mental health professionals and other people that can really be an extra step, an extra resource for them. That's a really good point because I feel like so often we talk about the student that's struggling and making sure they know they're not alone, but the weight and gravity, I imagine, of being a parent of a student sure. The, the same struggle is there that they end up feeling like oh, it's just our family. We're the black sheep of the community. No one else is. I imagine there's probably so much health and help in like just looking around the room like, oh, my gosh, there's hundreds of us here just in the same geographical right. place. We're not crazy. We're not the black sheep. We're not alone. Like, wh what do you think are some of the other stigmas? Both Bobby and Aaron, you, you kind of alluded to this idea of some of the stigmas of mental health. Like what what are some other things, Jason, that you've seen in, in your experience that maybe the church hasn't done a good job of talking about or parents in general are, are just sort of unaware of when it comes to mental health and depression and suicide, particularly as it pertains to students. Yeah. You think when a parent runs into an issue like this, the first question that starts happening is what did we do wrong? What did we miss? Should I have said that? I didn't say it, it was too hard. It wasn't hard enough. Instantaneously, it's about this reevaluation of everything you've done before, and you end up looking behind you in trying to fix all of these things. And you know, I think about any other situation where people make choices that lead them into a tough spot in a bad situation, and oftentimes, what people want to do uh, is is isolate and, and keep everybody off their business. It's almost like, you know, spiritual island syndrome. Nobody gets on my island. I'm not going on to yours. You're not coming onto mine. And then crisis comes and all of a sudden it's like, where is everybody? 
So, so how do we how do we do that better than do you think going forward? Because I, I've certainly felt the temptation myself and and you guys. I think we could probably spend a whole other hour talking about this. Even ministry itself can be isolating, right? So sometimes there is this weird juxtaposition of like we're telling parents and families like be connected, reach out. When oftentimes, and maybe I will project onto you guys as as ministers as pastors, we tend to be the worst at it sometimes. You know, and actually raising a hand saying I I, I need help. Like what what's some encouragement you would give? as like a way forward for people who maybe that's not their inclination to say, I'm hurting, I'm, I'm in need of help. Like, does, does any of you guys have suggestions or ideas or even just encouragements to someone who's listening, thinking I'm prone to retreat, give them some encouragement to actually lean in rather than run away. I would say start by, start by showing up on Sunday, you know, start by showing up and engaging. I think that's the first step. got to be willing to engage somewhere. And so hmm. I, th- I think one of our goals is create points where people can easily engage. And to Jason's point earlier, I think, you know, there's obviously a long-term element to this where this isn't just going to be a one-off thing for us. This is just the beginning of a journey where we feel like we can reintroduce hope and life and healing into this conversation. That's all. Okay, so that's a perfect segue, actually, because we've just been talking about a lot of heavy stuff, and uh, we know that that's real, but we also know, and we alluded to at the very beginning of the hour, that there is also a ton of hope. Like, there's so many good things, and I remember, you know, when, when I was, like, grinding out my first early years of youth ministry, sometimes it's easy to get kind of buried under, like, no one understands youth ministry, no one understands these students the way that I do. It would It is easy to get crushed by hope, and I one of the things I appreciate about the three of you guys is that not only do you not shy away from the difficult topics, but you also are intent on like keeping hope out in front. You tell excellent stories, and I know that's to the glory of God and that the things that we get to experience are way beyond us. But I want to spend this last segment talking about what are you hopeful about with, with our student ministry specifically, with student ministry as a whole? Like, What are, what are some encouragements that we can kind of share with people about, man, the, the future actually is really, really bright, and students aren't – they're not the church of tomorrow. I believe that they're the church of right now. And the more that we can like lean into that, I mean, I think the better the local church will be. So we're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is nowhere to be found. If you've seen him, call us. We're very worried. Um, please. Please, we're all we're all we've been crying between every commercial break. Actually, it's really it's emotional in here. But you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, or eleven sixty hope dot com. But we have in the studio three very special guest hosts: Bobby, Aaron, and Jason from Community Christian Church. They help lead uh, so much of what our student ministry has been doing in the last three segments. Let's be honest, have been pretty heavy, right? There's a lot going on. There's a lot to be heavy about, actually, which I I really appreciate about you guys. I think a lot of times the tendency is to just sort of shy away from let's not talk about it but i don't want to end there though i want to end with hope because i think uh i mean it's hope for your life that's the name of the so i feel like you guys are so good at also telling fantastic stories of of life change of trajectory i think you guys have a true vision of like this is where student ministry is going not just for our church but in general and for like the parents that are listening who are like at their wits end with their teenager or maybe their student ministry at their church is struggling to find hope. Can you guys just share some perspective, some hope for maybe somebody who's feeling like, okay, what's, what's going on in student ministry? What's, what's happening? Would you just paint for us a picture? Where do you, where do you see student ministry going? 
Yeah, I, that statement, I think you talked a little bit about it last segment, but that, that statement of the students are the church of the future. Um, I, I kind of hate that statement because <laughs> the, I mean, the absolute truth is no, students are the church now. And they're like setting tones and stuff now. Absolutely. And, yeah. and we love the thing that we're seeing is we're seeing students lead the way as far as like worship goes within our church. And it's just awesome to see. And we, we love that. And we just continue to encourage students to be a part of this. This isn't about when you're 20. This isn't about when you're graduated or anything. This is about right now. Totally. And there's so much potential and so much that each and every one of them as an individual has to offer. And I, I think for me, that's the hope is just getting them to see that, that you are a part of this now and you are leading this now. So that. lead, lead well now. That's so good. All right, Jason, one of the things I feel like you're really good at is storytelling. Do you have a story that you can think of of a student that you're like, man, this gives me such a glimpse of like hope for students, for the future, for the big seed church as we know it? Like, do you have a, a story that comes to mind when you think about that? Yeah, totally. I, uh, <laughs> it's funny. I think about the way that hope works in my life. You know, if you've ever pushed something that doesn't move, nothing wears you out faster than that. You know, and so many people feel like they're just they're pushing against a boulder that doesn't even budge an inch, but the second that it budges, if you're pushing a car and it starts to move, all of a sudden, you give me two inches of momentum and I'm Hercules. I can take care of anything, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I think about this student two years ago that hey, did you just you meet the kid potential to the max, like everybody wants to be around him. And for some reason he's the one person in the room that doesn't see it in himself. And over the course of a couple of seasons of his life, you could just see him buried deeper and deeper and deeper into this thing and uh, really just just buried. Mm-hmm. And it was a leader that I remember two years ago at camp literally chased this kid down. And he's walking out of the, you know, the worship time. He's just leaving. And this, this guy that cares about him that's been there every single week for the last couple of years of his life, he's the one that pursues. Uh, I didn't have that kind of access to this guy, but his leader did. And he gets them, they sit down and they start talking. It was really a rescue in a lot of ways. He started to talk about some of the ways that he was feeling about himself and what he's going to do. And if you fast forward a couple of years, this guy's done really well. And you really start to see the brightness of his personality come out again. And three weeks ago, I'm walking down the stairs in one of our, uh, on one of our Wednesday nights. And I get this prompting from the spirit just to ask him a crazy question. And I literally, I looked at this guy. I was like, hey, hey, what's up? And I was like, um, so do you want to be a pastor? <laughs> like totally random. Like the most random, ridiculous question I can ask. He looks me dead in the eye. He says, you know, I've been thinking about it. And I feel like I could help other people a lot with the rest of my life. And I'm going to tell you, I cannot wait for him to be ready to be in charge because whatever we're doing right now is going to be better when when he is making uh, making it happen, when he's the one calling the shots. Can't wait for that day. No kidding. Man. That's great. All right, so, Bobby, one of the things that you say, and I've heard you say a couple of times actually, is that in an age and a culture when sometimes the church is known for being reactive, right? And that's not just in student ministry. We see that on Facebook. We see that in politics, right? We're always like reacting to culture, reacting to the the issue du jour, and you, you have a real passion for being more proactive. How do we get out in front of this? Which uh, does show up with events like the one this Sunday when silence isn't golden, but it also shows up in other avenues and other ways. It manifests in other ways as a, as a as a ministry leader and someone you know in our organization. You lead leaders as well. Like whether you're speaking to our church or just anyone listening who's a part of a church. Like, what are some ways that we can be proactive rather than just reactive? Uh, maybe even specifically in the realm of student ministry. How do you do that? I actually think it starts with kids and it starts with students. Hmm. And so, you know, 
I feel like, you know, for the first time, maybe ever, this generation of kids and students are ready to be proactive. They're not afraid of messy. They're not afraid of vulnerable. They're not afraid of openness. And so, I mean, you, you look at your previous generations, you know, the one before me feels like it was relatively closed off and very personal. My generation, I think, could be defined as the slacktivists. You know, some people might say that. <laughs> but, you know, I do really feel like whether it's a conversation about mental health or an issue that needs to be resolved or just honest conversations about life, this generation of students is ready to embrace that. And so even when it comes to the church, right, like sometimes church can be viewed as this place where students can escape or they can start to chase this spiritual element of life. But students, I think, are embracing that as as one one piece. Right. So like what's happening outside of the church and in the church, that's that's the same life. That's the same thing. And so for the first time, you know, ever, we're seeing students who are who are not afraid to bridge those gaps and be real and open and vulnerable. So it's like a, a more holistic take on the whole thing, which is such an important, like I wish someone had taught me that earlier. I don't feel like the idea for me, it was always like my church friends and then like the rest of my life. And like n- the two never met. They were like two totally different universes. And I think to, to call students to a holistic life is so important and so much easier said than done. And I think you guys are just absolutely doing a fantastic job with that. Thank you guys for the ways that you pour into students with 20 seconds or less each. I'd love to know just the most insane youth ministry experience you've ever had. Maybe maybe a, <laughs> an experience that maybe involves a lock-in or caffeine of some kind. We're going to do this like the old school like popcorn prayer. Anyone have a, a story, an encounter that's safe for Christian radio? <laughs> I had one, dang it. <laughs> you lost it. Where'd it go? Kohler, you got one? All right. <laughs> Probably, probably the time we were we at a retreat, tons, tons of students, and uh, a couple of students were having a little issue. They were fighting, so I stepped in, and the one student wasn't done fighting, so he started fighting me. And s- sixth grade, I mean, I'm six three, I'm I'm fairly nice sized guy, right. and uh, he had his hands around my neck, and it it, it didn't end well for me at all. Oh huh. man, Jason, Bobby you just laid that guy out, yeah. right? You just completely laid him out. Yes. That's that's classic Kohler for sure. Jason Bobby, an insane story from student ministry life. Playing basketball with a bunch of my uh, high school students, and it had been a pretty gentlemanly game so far. We're taking care of each other. We got a guy who finally decides it's time to ram me. Rams his shoulder into my chest, and something inside me snapped. Oh boy! I took the basketball and I drop kicked it across the gym. As I'm drop kicking the ball, I'm thinking. I'm this guy's pastor. This is a bad move right now. This is not a good move at all. I, I'm apologizing as the ball flies across the gym. The next day, he brings me a dozen donuts as a peace offering. That's his ministry win for, for sure, man. I drop kicked the donuts. Oh, of course you did. Bobby, Aaron, Jason, thank you guys so much, not just for being here, but for the work you do in the world. I'm so grateful that you guys are caring for our students and leaders. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being here. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins.
Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is somewhere. We're not. We're starting to get worried, actually. So if you've seen him, please give us, give us a call. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or at 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. This is a show, though, hopefully about creating space for dialogue, for conversation, to enter into the mess and the gray, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers or tie up with a nice, easy bow. And uh, we're calling this the Week of Ian's Friends, and I am so excited to have in the studio, in the flesh, right here, my friend, writer, pastor, author, just all-around good dude, (laughs) Michael Alvarez. Michael, welcome to the show, good sir. Hey, thanks for (laughs) letting me be here. (laughs) Of course, man. (laughs) This is so great. I love it. I don't know if you guys have ever wondered what a... Like the voice of somebody, like what they might look like, <laughs> right, and you right, try right. to match their face with their voice. I just want to let you guys know this is a handsome man. <laughs> Are you speaking for yourself or on my behalf? Uh, that... Well, now that you mention that, actually, <laughs> no, Ian's that, handsome. You ever had that moment where you like see a radio person like on a billboard, and you're like. That's what they look like. Exactly. That, that's exactly <laughs> what I thought. Like, I know there are people wondering, like, I wonder what Ian looks like. He's I just doubt it. Has I that d- soothing oh, voice. Okay. See, this is. Let's just do this for an hour. That would be. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Okay. So, so people may not know you or what you do. Why don't you just let people know who are you? What do you do? What are you passionate about? Yeah. All of those things. Yeah. Well, uh, my name's Mike. Mike Alvarez, and uh, I uh, have been in ministry for I don't know, maybe twenty plus years or so, give or take. And I've been on staff at different churches doing different things. But the thing that I have been passionate about, really, I mean, the majority of my ministerial career, and I hate saying career because <laughs> feels kind of cold. Yeah, yeah it yeah. sounds cold, especially when you're talking about ministry, but. Uh, I've just primarily worked with next generation people. And so what I mean by that is like uh, middle school, high school, college and post-college folks. And so in the last probably, I don't know, maybe seven years or so, it's been primarily college age, like those people between 18 to 29 years old. That's been my focus. Got it. Okay. So the thing that I find so fascinating about you is, is that tends to be the demographic that most churches struggle the most to engage with. And yeah. you've said... I'm going to make that my primary focus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, it's funny because when I was on staff at different churches, um, I've worked with college students. That was always a hard demographic. Uh, to to reach out to, but I I uh, moved back to the city of Aurora, which is where I'm originally from, and Aurora is the second largest city in the state of Illinois, second to Chicago, and it has 130 plus churches in that city. But one of the things I noticed when I moved back there was that they struggled. Most churches struggled with reaching young adults, and there's oddly enough, there most churches in that city are less than um, numerically less than 500 people, and youth group out there are just less than about 15 students, and there are primarily no churches with young adult ministry. So I just started uh, saying to myself, like, how can I solve this problem in this city? And uh, so I ended up uh, coming up with an idea that said, how can I be an extension to the local church in my city? And I thought, man, let's try and solve this problem. So I created this independent uh, ministry called Unnamed uh, that really tried to attract young professionals into my area. So unnamed, uh, was that like an intentional name or was that more of like, we don't know what to call this? Like I've played in bands before. We're like, we don't know what to call ourselves. Oh, we should call ourselves. We don't know what to call ourselves. Like was that uh, a focused intentional kind of quote unquote branding or was it sort of like a, 
uh, were you deconstructing the system a little bit in that regard? Like, oh, we want this to be intentionally subversive, or how did, how did you come to that name? Yeah, I would love to say like this is like this is my creative <laughs> genius. You know, you know what's funny is that young adults will say, "Bro, that is such an awesome name!" Like, you are so different, and and then and then like I get older people that are like forty years and older that right. will just say like, "Oh, a name that's." Nice. That's one way to live your life. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> but but unnamed came about because when we were uh, when the ministry was kind of being created, uh, we were trying to find a, a cool name for ourselves. You know, like elevation or just you know just whatever. And <laughs> to just name a few. Yeah, right? <laughs> just name a few ministries. But we couldn't find a name, and so finally, um, we were going to become a five hundred one c three. Which, for those of you guys that don't know, that's just basically the state of Illinois would say, hey, you guys are official, non for profit. Yeah. And so um, everybody wanted to just refer to it as Thursday nights at 7 p.m., which is the day that we met. Mm. And I just said, okay, guys, that's fine. We don't have to have a name. But on paper, I'm just going to put down unnamed. And so that became our nickname, kind of like Yellow Box was for for you guys for community church that's right Our, ours was sort of a reaction to i mean it was at the time an, a square yeah painted yellow and it was called community christian church but people in the neighborhood kept referring to it as the big yellow box and I, i've actually really always appreciated the posture of the leadership to say hey if the neighborhood's already calling to the yellow box why fight it like yeah. why fight the that seems to be the trend people are literally giving directions by it like oh you're gonna head down ogden turn right at the yellow box yeah which is a unique kind of posture when it comes to ministries and branding, sometimes it feels like the tendency is to force a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. And one of the things I think you do really well is sort of pay attention to the trends and vibes of your community yeah. and to kind of hold it open a little bit, Yeah. which before we went live, you actually were mentioning. So it's it has been called Unnamed. In fact, you can find them at Unnamed Aurora on Instagram. Yeah. But you're in the midst of a transition even even with that branding. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that when we first started, and it's kind of a lengthy story, but the Reader's Digest version of this is that when we started Unnamed, which was about five years ago, I was meeting with different churches. I was actually working in the medical field, and when I'd get out of work, I'd go to churches and just start meeting with people one-on-one and just sharing a vision of saying, hey, how can we, how can I best serve you in reaching this demographic? And um, ultimately, when we started uh, Unnamed uh, five and a half years or so ago, um, I just started uh, connecting with different young adults and and start ra- starting to rally them in. And um, and we just kind of developed this, this ministry out, out of nothing. And uh, actually, the, the way we got started was uh, when I was meeting with churches, most churches said, Mike, we really love your idea of, of starting this thing, but um, what's the one thing you need from us? And I said, well, I need to borrow your, your millennials, your young adults, and if you would financially contribute to this. And they said, Mike, one of the reasons why we love your idea is because we don't have millennials and we don't have resources to give you. Interesting. And so I thought, man, this thing is not going to go then. So I just kind of laid it to rest. And about three months later, there was a young man. Uh, who's a college student who was attending Columbia in downtown Chicago, who was studying film, was attending a church and would commute back and forth, was attending a church near Aurora. And he said, Mike, can we just meet one-on-one for accountability? I said, sure, man, let's do it. And so when we started meeting, he invited a friend who was kind of far from God, who was kind of an an agnostic. And um, once he started coming, then that friend said, hey, can I invite another friend who was an atheist? And then those three guys started coming. Both those guys came to faith. And then those guys said, hey, can we invite 
some friends. So it started out with one, turned into three, then five, then 10, and 15, and 20, and uh, 50, and 60, and, and it just started growing. So we didn't know what we were in the beginning, but we were just kind of this growing entity that was growing organically in the truest sense of the word. So you almost needed to like catch up to what was already happening. Oh, I guess yeah. we should figure out some yeah. parameters and infrastructure here because people keep coming, which is such an interesting problem to have, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I guess we got to figure some stuff out, right? Rather yeah. than the reverse, where yeah. you spend a lot of time like in a laboratory and then just hope that it. Yeah, that it connects. And we just had to put a pause on it right now. We're in the season of pause right now because we're trying to implement structure into this whole thing. Because, again, since we didn't know what we were, we didn't add structure to it. It just was kind of this, what I like to refer to as a relational community. So people would just show up, hang out, high five each other, talk, and just really build relationship there. And so no real structure was implemented at the time. So now we're kind of going back and looking and saying, how can we implement a structure that is healthy that can facilitate that growth? Okay, so that's one of many things I want to talk to you about. Infrastructure, uh, language. I know that you're a big believer that words matter. How we talk about things matters. Uh, You're a single dude in ministry. I think that's fascinating, something that doesn't get talked about enough. Single is a dollar bill. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and just ministry to Aurora in general, a city that's really near and dear to my heart. So we're going to unpack, hopefully, at least a number of those things uh, for the rest of this hour. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted. All the previous shows on literally whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Friends have told me they listen to it at twice the speed. I don't know if I should take that as an insult or not. Like, we got to get through this twice as fast. I wonder what you sound like at twice re- the speed. I don't even want to know. I'm so concerned. I don't know if you have that when you hear your own voice. It's like, is, oh, that, yeah. is that what I sound like to the yeah. rest of the world? Good gravy. But that other voice you're hearing, though, is my good buddy, Michael Alvarez. You can learn more about his ministry at Unnamed Aurora on Instagram. You can also email him at Michael unnamed at gmail.com and one of the things that we were talking about uh during the break actually was what what are you and what is your ministry because like you and i met at an ecumenical event yeah where the whole point of the event was how do we build bridges between the local church when local churches you know are inclined to either silo or sometimes worse just throw rocks back and forth at each other and we see it on social media right oh, the chasm yeah. just seems to widen <clears throat> and you were at this event intent on sort of like how do we how do we engage particularly with the young adult context yeah. that so many churches struggle with, but then in the midst of that, trying to figure out, okay, so what is unnamed? And you're even right now in the midst of a kind of restructuring. Yeah, What's some of that process been like in trying to figure out either maybe your identity as a pastor or your ministry's identity as a whole? Like mm-hmm. walk us through some of those, some of those hurdles. Yeah. Well, I think one of the big uh, struggles for me when we started unnamed, um, when I was initially talking to pastors about, about doing a name, I kind of knew what that format was going to be. Hmm. But when pastors kind of put the kibosh on it for me, uh, I I was like, okay, now what? And then <laughs> when we started organically with this guy, Cody, that was his name, is his name. He's still alive. <laughs> and <laughs> Hi, Cody. <laughs> yeah, hey, Cody. Um, love you, buddy. Um, and so when, when, we, when we started, when I started that with him, 
because we didn't start with the traditional model that I had intended to start out with, we were just very fluid. And this group was kind of a, what I like to refer to as kind of a breathing group. Like numerically, we'd be at 10 people one week, then the next week we'd be at seven, then the following week we'd be at 15. And then, you know, we just kind of would breathe numerically from week to week. And because of that, I didn't know if we were an accountability group. I didn't know if we were a gathering. I didn't know if we were a church that was developing. So it was very difficult for me to put a label onto it. And I know that our culture, when we don't understand something, we initially want to put a label on something right away for it to make sense. So I had a lot of pastors that would tell me, are you planting a church? Are you starting something? Like, what is it that you're doing? Because it's it's different. It's cool. It's weird. And you're like, I don't actually know. (laughs) Yeah. And I would say that like, guys, I really don't know. But I just know we're a faith community coming together and just talking about God and life and how those two cross paths. And and um, and so we would just kind of wrestle with that on a weekly basis. So uh, right now I'm uh, I you know, when I put unnamed on a pause, I said, you know, I need to solidify who we are and what we're not. And uh, just so that I can I can be true to me and I can be true to who we're gathering. And then if we're not going to be a church and if we're just going to be this relational community that's attracting young adults, into our area, then I want to make sure that we bring value to the local church. And so I let the local church do what they do best, which is disciple people and baptize people and do what they need to do while we're over here just raising the temperature of helping the next generation fall in love with God and the local church. Yep. So, okay, so you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I I think the question maybe on a lot of people's minds is what were or are you doing that was just so naturally attracting a demographic that so many churches struggle to actually engage with. Like what, what I know it's not any silver bullet kind of special sauce, but like when you look back now on half a decade of doing this, Mm -hmm. what, what are some of the like key points you're like, Oh man, this, this is what a lot of churches miss when it comes to engaging young people. What, What were you guys getting right? Even if accidentally. Yeah. I, again, you know, I think you said it right now. Like, I don't know if I, I have a, kind of a formula for this, or uh, I think most of the things I've, I've done in Unnamed, it was stumbled onto. I think in most most <laughs> great things, they're stumbled onto. But uh, a few years ago, I uh, probably about three years ago or so ago, I read a stat um, that said 70% of millennials and Gen Zers, Generation Z, uh, believe they're going to be entrepreneurs. And No kidding. Yeah. So whether that's true or not, the fact of the matter is, how does that relate to the church? How does that translate to the to church? And so we have a system in in churches. And for those of you guys that grown up in church and understand church, um, we understand that here is a person at the top of the pyramid, this guy, this pastor who gets uh, who has a vision for the local church and disseminates that vision down to everyone else. And now everyone else is trying to fulfill that vision of of the of the church of the community that's being developed there and you have now a generation of people like millennials and gen zers that are now entering into the church and they're asking themselves or they're telling themselves I'm an entrepreneur I'm a creator I'm a starter and so uh, in this setting how do I build how do I create how do I you know um build something inside the system well unfortunately we have created a culture in north american church culture where we said this is what church is supposed to look like we're building this one person's uh vision and, and desire so uh I, I don't know if this was the best thing to do but what i did was i kind of flipped that 
that thing, that, that triangle upside down. And I just said, instead of me trying to disseminate some kind of vision for it, I think that the vision ultimately is, you know, what's Jesus vision for the, for, you know, for the world. And I, and so I kind of flipped that thing upside down. I said, Hey, here's the vision that Jesus had for, for the world. And now let's, let, let me let me have you guys help me try to build this. So I I did my best to empower the next generation and say, let's be creative. Let's be you know let let's be people that step out. And you know I'm I'm a firm believer that the church should look more like a like a sandbox and than an antique store. Hmm. And so, and then antique stores, for those of you guys that have been in the one, you know, as soon as you walk in, I don't know what it is, but subconsciously we get quiet and we lower our voice and we just go in there and we kind of admire stuff. We're not allowed to touch anything. At least that's what my mom told me. Don't touch anything. <laughs> and so we just go in there and admire stuff. But, um, but in, in a sandbox, you go in there and you see this like little kids helping out other little kids and this multi sometimes generational thing, this multi ethnic thing where moms and dads come over and they help out their kids and they're building these towers and if they don't like the tower they crush and they rebuild it back up again Mm. and it's this experiment this project and so i think that in some ways the church should look a lot like that it should be stepping out and creating and trying out things and saying hey you know what can we do to create something that that uh, builds up the temperature and the appetite for people that are distant from God and distant from church. So it's, it's creating this high value of engagement rather than just being a spectator to the show. Right. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, you know, we've often said is when we create spaces that look like theaters, we can't be surprised when people behave like spectators. Like right. I don't go to the movie to engage with it. I go to be entertained. Right. That's yeah. why I paid the ticket price. Yeah. And so often I think that's confusing in a local church expression. Like I'm not here to engage. I'm here to I'm here to be fed, right? That's the language that we often use. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, just like in, you know, in the last minute we have of this segment, what what have been some of the challenges though? Because I mean, I I love what you're saying. I also know that sometimes that can get muddied when it's like, who's the decision maker here? How how does stuff actually? How do we hold people accountable to accomplishing goals and tasks that we set before them? Like, what have been some of the the obstacles or struggles you've had with sort of this this inverted model of ministry? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I think we say what we want about millennials and Gen Zers that, you know, they're lazy or they're this or they're that. You know, I, I, I'm i a firm believer that, that um, millennials and the next generation, they're responsible for the things that they actually care about. And so for me, as I'm trying to connect with them, I think one of the things I've, I've had a hard time doing is getting them to not just be spectators, not just be people that attenders, but that are participants. And so one of our core convictions at Unnamed is um, that there are no, um, there, there, there are people that don't sit on the sidelines. We're all participants. And so we jump into this thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm this type of guy that's constantly just kind of you know, hitting the whip and just saying, okay, guys, let's jump into this. Let's do something. And so that it's been kind of a struggle to get Mm. um, the next generation to kind of jump into this and be participants because they would rather be attenders and just kind of feel a part of the bigger feeling of stuff than to just uh, get their hands dirty in things. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So I want to, I want to ask you more about that a little bit. This antique shop, sandbox uh, imagery is so fascinating to me. I want to talk about how, how do we do a better job of engaging, particularly young adults, but also knowing some of your story and being a single person in ministry and how often the church doesn't doesn't know what to do with that category of person at all. And yeah. I think that you've navigated that exceptionally well. So I want to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is in sunny Florida. I, I don't know if it's sunny. He's just in Florida. I know that much for sure. But you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or at 1160hope.com. But we have in the studio my good buddy, Michael Alvarez. You can find him uh, on Instagram at Unnamed Aurora. You can also email him at michaelunnamed at gmail.com. And uh, your story is such a fascinating one to me because you're you're engaging with young adults when for a lot of churches, that's sort of a head scratcher. They're like, what do we do to, you know, attract young adults, which is maybe already the wrong question, to be mm-hmm. honest. But you've you also kind of reverse engineered it. It sort of like picked up its own momentum and then has sort of forced certain conversations structurally like, OK, who are we? What are we actually doing? And you began with sort of this inverted triangle model, right, rather than mm-hmm. this hierarchical structure. You you seem to be really predisposed and really intent on keeping it as organic and raw as possible, mm-hmm. but now have kind of put pushed pause on unnamed to figure <clears throat> out some of the scaffolding a little bit. Yeah, How, what's that been like um, in having to rethink maybe some of the structure stuff while also trying to keep it like truly organic to keep like the kind of the lifeblood of what it has been. How do you kind of hold that balance? Yeah. Well, I mean the, the way I've kind of thought about this and just to kind of give you a little bit of a, of an origin story that uh, again, I won't go too much into detail about this, but I, I grew up in church and I grew up in a great church, not far from where you are on staff at and a very large, significant church down in that area, very influential in denomination I was a part of. And uh, I love church, love being a part of church, ended up going to Bible college and um, and then I attended another great church while I was there as well. And then when I went on staff at my first church, which, by the way, when I was in Bible college, you know, you have these dreams, these accolades of like, yes. man, you know, I want to, you know, I want to eventually, you know, lead this kind of ministry. And, and uh, you know, for those of you guys that, that have your careers, you think of success in, you know, your terms. And I think of success when it comes to ministry in my terms. And and so you think of speaking at conferences and doing all this stuff, and um, and you think of the kind of people that you'll meet, the kind of the celebrity ministers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's our world. It's kind of silly. but um, <laughs> And so you, you think of these things. Well, when I got my first ministry position, I ended up going on staff at a church, and I ended up working for a guy named Joel. Not that Joel, but a different Joel. <laughs> And in Houston, Texas. I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And um, and so, but the, the, the reality is I was like uh, 23, four years old. And, um, and when I was on staff at that church, that pastor was so connected with a lot of really well-known ministers that everything that I thought would build up for me, that it would take me years to reach this level of success, I actually encountered it in my first position. Wow. And so uh, I thought to myself, man, I, I've, I've achieved, in this, almost in essence, everything that I, I wanted, that I actually became bored with church. Oh, as, interesting. As, as a pastor, I was so frustrated with church and so uh, frustrated and bored with it that that I started asking myself the question, God, is if this is everything that church has to offer, um, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Wow. And so um, ultimately I ended up going on staff at another church in Phoenix, Arizona, and I thought, man, this will answer that question. Still kind of bored. Ended up leaving that and moving back to Aurora, Illinois. And while I was here, I was actually reading through Scripture, and I landed on Matthew chapter 16. And if you if you're familiar with that text— um, Jesus will ask two of the most dangerous questions I think found in scripture. And he'll ask the question, who do people say that I am? And then how about you? Who do you think I am? And Peter chimes in and says, you are Christ. You're actually God. Um, and Jesus says, um, you didn't get this from human 
perspective. Right. Like nobody leaned into you and whispered in your ear, hey, this guy, Jesus is God. He said this actually was a divine revelation. And so he says, um, Peter, upon your statement, I'm going to build. And then Jesus uses this crazy word, um, a, a gathering or a movement. Right. The ecclesia. Yeah, the ecclesia. And, and so here's what I began to wrestle with that. I, I thought to myself, when Jesus made that statement, was he thinking about what we've created today? And and uh, and I just thought, man, you know, when I'm sure there was this this sparkle in his eye when he's making this statement. And I'm thinking the churches that we've constructed today, the culture, the system, all that stuff. Have we created what he was talking about? And and so I think to myself, if Jesus was around today, would I have to explain church to him? That's a good question. And and so I have wrestled with that for a long period of time. So when I started building unnamed. I, I took everything that what we think of what makes up church Acts chapter two talks about this. Um, and I kind of erased kind of the, the, what I refer to as the template that's been handed to us from a previous generation as to how to do church. Mm. And, and I just kind of, you know, put that up on the proverbial whiteboard and I've erased everything that I know how to do that. And I said, what are the elements that make up church? It's like the core as we see it in scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What's that core? And so I just began to, contextualize um, what it means to be a faith community. Um, and I contextualize that to the next generation of, of people. So in that, I just started thinking about how do I create a, a, a uh, place, a gathering for the next generation of people. And so I'm a very relational person. So I, I started saying, what would be a place I would like to attend, even though I was never, even though I would never get paid to go there or mm. to go on staff there. And, um, and so I wanted to create a place that I was comfortable with. And so, um, so for us, a name has just been a very relational, um, gathering, a very relational ministry. And one of the things you went after, and we've talked about this before is, is language specifically and how, how sometimes you've said that we can get hung up on certain language specifically around like prayer or Bible reading. And you've actually sort of recoin some of those phrases to yeah. fit your context. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that sometimes when you, uh, if I were to sit in front of a, a room full of people, and if I would ask everybody, what is your definition of church? I think that we could probably get different perspectives, different sure. definitions. You know, you'll have people that will say, you know, church is this, church is all about money. Pastors are always talking about, you know, you know, wanting to get your money and all that. So you have people's definition of that. You have some people will say church is about family, you know, or church is about ritual. And you just have these different definitions of it. So I think that in some ways, our North American culture, we have, uh, unfortunately, and there are some people that have painted a bad picture of church to a lot of people that are not churched people that are yeah. exploring faith. And so for me, I, I've just said, I think there's some some bad definition out there. I think there are some, um, some bad ways we've painted. So I wanted to create kind of a clean slate uh, for people. So I, I just took language that, that is not sacred, it's sacred to us because we we've grown up in church, um, but but I've just taken language that I think is not violating scripture, and I've just said, um, how can we rebrand some of this language? So you know, if you've been raised in church most of your life, you know, we talk about um, praying and reading your Bible. Well, in this generation, um, who is constantly demanding to be heard, 
you know, what I refer to sometimes as keyboard protesting, uh, where they just they, they won't necessarily hold up a sign, but they'll get on their laptop or they'll get on their phone and they'll just kind of f- share their frustration. They're on Twitter, you know, all the time. And and so I talk about, man, you know, you have a desire to be heard. Well, interestingly enough, God began a conversation with you a couple of thousand years ago, and he's actually interested in hearing you. And God is actually speaking to you right now. And one of the ways that God speaks to you is by opening up the Bible, and God is actually talking to you, and he's talking to you 24-7. And so he actually wants to share some things with you. So we talk about praying and reading the Bible as listening and being heard. Oh, wow. And so it's been pretty powerful. And if people resonated with that, or has there been pushback? Like, no, you can't, you can't call prayer anything other than prayer. You can't call Bible reading anything other than reading the Bible. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten some pushback by it. Yeah, but you know, the, the thing is, is that I, I understand what's what's sacred. I'm not compromising who Jesus is. But I think that everything that we do at Undamed is done through the lens of relationship. Yeah. So, uh, you know, ch- in church culture, we go on retreats. Right. Uh, but at unnamed, we go on road trips. Oh, man. I and, love that. And so and so because that that somehow uh, infuses the, the thing about relationships, that relationship begins um, not just when you get to the actual retreat and you learn, but it actually starts when you're trying to throw your your bags inside the car and everyone gets in the car and they're like, you know, uh, Snapchatting, Snapchatting or Instagramming the, the whole thing and taking selfies and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's where sometimes some of the best conversations take place is in the car Absolutely. on your way to the, quote, retreat. That's right. Absolutely. I find all of that so endlessly interesting because it's so refreshing to think critically, to think intelligently about why do we do things the way that we do and why do we say things the way that we say them. And I think, man, that to do that in the context of relationship is absolutely key, but it feels like you're making some really powerful headway in exploring the thing beneath the thing. Like why yeah. do we always, you know, and often people are like, I actually have never thought about why we do this or why we say it that way. And so coming up next, I want to, I want to hear a little more about that, but I also want to talk about uh, you're a single guy in ministry, mm-hmm. and in a lot of contexts, that's sort of a faux pas, and I've experienced that myself. So I'd love to kind of get your take on what that's like uh, ministering in the suburbs, ministering out in Chicagoland as a single guy uh, to a young adult demographic. So that'll be coming up next with Michael Alvarez on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com, plus the show is podcasted. Uh, but in this week of guest hosts that just happen to be mostly my friends, which has been honestly so much fun, uh, we have in the studio Michael Alvarez of Unnamed Aurora. You can learn more at Unnamed Aurora on Instagram. You can also email him at michaelunnamed at gmail.com. And your story of this, like, organic young adults community that's also ecumenical, that's also sort of cutting edge and scrappy, but also mysteriously ancient and sacred as well. Like, I just think there's so much that you guys are getting that is sometimes harder for churches to in any way emulate because we're we're so caught in the structure. Sometimes the structure can be really helpful. Sometimes the structure can keep us stuck. And uh, there's a fluidity to what you do, Mm -hmm. which I've always, like, really appreciated, even just from a distance. But... One of the things that I find so fascinating about you individually is that you're a Hispanic dude mm-hmm. and you're a single dude. Mm-hmm. And um, in a lot of contexts, you know, I'm learning even more about some of my own filters and the ways I see the world. And, you know, I didn't get married to my 30s. So I felt like in a lot of ways I did experience some of the lack of how the church engaged single people well. Mm-hmm. And some of the <laughs> some of the stigmas, especially if you're in ministry oh, yeah. of a single person. <clears throat> and uh, we've talked a couple of times specifically about this. 
And I'm curious, um, what's been your experience as as a single person in ministry, and what have been some of the obstacles? What are some of the opportunities? What are some of the ways that that maybe you can, to someone listening that hasn't ever even thought about this, like, oh, right, this is a whole demographic that our church doesn't really maybe ever talk about or engage with. Mm-hmm. Um, give us just some insight there, could you? Yeah, um, I think, like, for me, I mean, I've been single my whole life, and uh, and I think that in the church world, we had this thing where, um, we, we were kind of talking about this during commercial break, where uh, pastors, whenever they write sermons, and and they preach sermons. They really preach to a demographic of people that are married, have families, and and I think on accident they don't do this on purpose. I'm sure of it, but um, they don't really speak to the demographic of people to the you know to the millennial or Gen Zer that is single. I mean, the average millennial will, is getting married between the ages of I think uh, somewhere like 28 to 32. So really? yeah, they're getting married later and later in in life. And so they, they experience some real single issues in in life. And I, I think sometimes, um, you know, at Unnamed, you know, when people ask me all the time, because we, we uh, have people from different walks of life, different expressions of, of Christianity, Baptist, Nazarene, Pentecostal, all sorts. People, pastors ask me, like, Mike, what do you talk about? You know, when when you're addressing issues and I say, we just talk about the theology of life. Where does mm. God in life cross paths? And so uh, we talk about singleness. We talk about dating. We talk about relationships. And, uh, you know, the number one question that sometimes I, I wrestled with this myself is, um, you know, what happens if I miss the one? Mm. And, you know, Capital like, o, one, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, the one. The one. And yeah. So I used to think all, you know, often like, man, you know, what if in Bible college I missed the one? What if, what if the one is passing me by? What if the one is talking to me right now and I'm not paying attention? Like, what if I miss the one? And so I've been asked often, like, what does the Bible say about finding the one? And, and I, and I have to kind of shatter people's uh, perspective on this. And I tell them, you know, honestly, the Bible never talks about finding the one. It never talks about that. What it does talk about is becoming the one. And, and so, and so it's, it's all about, you know, that single person saying like, how do I, how do I structure my life in such a way that says, how do I follow Jesus? How do I, how do I uh, become the person that God wants me to be so that I can attract the one into Mm. my life? Mm. And so people, I think, wrestle with this pretty often they wrestle with singleness and they wrestle with loneliness. I think right now the, the latest stat is 54, 54% of the, of Americans are lonely in, in, in the U S. And so this is such a, a big deal right now. And I think that uh, churches don't really talk about that. They don't really talk about um, loneliness in church. They don't really talk about loneliness among a generation of people. And, and I think that they think um, loneliness is a calling, and uh, which I don't believe that the Bible's anywhere clear on that. I don't think the Bible talks about uh, loneliness being a calling in as much as I don't think being married is a calling. And so I think that we need to be sensitive to, to people that decide to be um, single or that they've just not you know, found that person, that, that, that there's nothing wrong with them. Um, that they're just kind of living life and they may be getting married later on in life, but it's not, uh, an issue that's that, that, uh, our world needs to fall apart just because that person is single. Right. Right. You know what? I, and I find that so often 
people who are single feel like, oh, once I get married, then, then I'll be complete, then I'll be whole. And I, and I remind people, man, Genesis says the two became one, not the halves became whole, right? Yeah. And if if anyone should set the record straight that being single is not like a second-class citizen, it'd be Jesus or Paul, right? This yeah. idea that like, oh, I'm not qualified for ministry. I don't have anything to offer, anything to until this thing happens, until I've accomplished this, I've crossed this threshold. Yeah. And I think I think you're spot on for for better or for worse. And it's, I don't think usually that intentional. Pastors tend to preach to their own context, mm-hmm. right? If they're married with a couple of kids, that would make sense. But so often there's this idea that like, okay, singleness is this waiting room, and I'll just kind of like hunker down until I'm. Then I'll start living. And I always. I try to remind people, man, singleness is not waiting. It's living. Right. Like, don't put off the work of, like, putting sin to death in your life and going after the dreams that God's planted in your heart. Don't treat it like this waiting room. Because, again, Jesus obliterates the idea that being single is in any way less than. Right. And I don't think the church would ever outright say that, but I think sometimes— kind of overtly or covertly we because we don't actually talk about it very often mm-hmm. that can sometimes be the received message and i and I, I would love to know how how can someone listening right now whether they're a church person or not just be encouraged whether or not they're single themselves i'm sure they know someone who is mm-hmm. how can we do a better job of like what you're saying this like withness this 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 incarnate type of life how how can we better be that uh, for the single people in our community. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that we need to think about is that our identity is not our singleness or our married status. That's good. That's good. And so we need to we need to understand that our identity comes from our Creator. And so whether you're single or whether you're married or whether you have children, you know, we, we we have this thing in our culture where if I meet you for the first time and I say, hi, my name's Mike, and you say, hi, my name's Ian, and then our second question is, so what do you do for a living? Right. Right? So we have this thing that, that what we do is who we are. Oh, that's good. And, and, that, and that's not true. So your identity is not found in your occupation. Your identity is not found in, in a particular status of married or single. And so, and so I think that we need to begin moving away from, from finding our identity is wrapped up in stuff that we do or in stuff that we kind of hover around, but it's found in, in Christ. Yes. So, so I think that we need to get a brand new perspective of identity and realize that, that, you know, who I am is found in Jesus Christ Yep. Yep. and, and move in that, in that world and, and stop stop uh, looking on Instagram and seeing like all your friends hovering around and like, Oh, they, they have a girlfriend, they have a boyfriend and you know, you're getting lonely or you're, you're identifying like, like, Oh, you know, I wish I was in that world and they're kind of excluding me from that. And, you know, I think sometimes we get lost in, in social media and whatnot. So, um, you know, don't find your identity in those things. Absolutely, man. Michael, I'm so grateful for you and the work that you're doing in the world. You can email Michael at Michael unnamed at gmail.com. Learn more on Instagram at Unnamed Aurora. Michael, thank you for hey. being a friend, being a pastor, being a brother that I care about. I'm Love so grateful it. for you. Thanks. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.